Welcome to Inside the Rope, the podcast where we speak to the leading minds in wealth management. I'm David Clark, your host, and today I'm speaking with Chelsea Pottinger. Chelsea holds a PhD in neuroscience and psychology and is an expert in mindfulness. Chelsea's an ambassador for RUOK as well as the Gidget Foundation. Chelsea's also in high demand for keynote speaking and makes many media appearances which you may have seen her in. As a wealth management advisor, I've become fascinated at the interplay between increasing wealth and increasing happiness or the lack thereof in many cases. It's through that lens I decided to speak to Chelsea to better understand mindfulness, what it is and what people can do in their lives as a practical sense to make themselves happier and also deal with the growing rigours and pressure that often comes with dealing with an increased amount of wealth. I think you'll note that this is slightly tangential to my usual expertise in the wealth management area, an area that I'm not particularly comfortable with in this podcast and I found it reasonably confronting and difficult compared to some of my other podcasts. However, I hope you'll agree that the subject matter is still compelling and worthwhile as I believe it is. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Please remember to provide feedback. You can reach me at david.clark at codacapital.com. Please enjoy the podcast. Remember to share and rate the podcast. Enjoy the show. Chelsea, welcome to Inside the Road. Thank you, David. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you today. Fantastic. Chelsea, perhaps you could kick us off by giving us a bit of a background as how you came to be practicing in this area, in this field. Yeah, sure. So like probably many of your audience listening to the show, I was in the corporate space. I used to do the 12-hour days. I'd take the edge off at nighttime with some Hendrix gin. I would do the triple shot latte when I woke up. I was very successful in my previous career. I was in sales and then I was in a general management role. And around 2015, I suffered a severe life adversity. And it's really ironic, actually, to be honest, because I've always been a very happy person and a, and a quite an optimistic person and a very big career drivenist. So 2015, we were blessed to have our little girl called Clara. And I suffered something known as postnatal depression, mm-hmm. severely. Ended up in hospital, fighting this huge suicidal ideation battle. So the reason why I share that a lot with the people that I work with is a couple of reasons. First of all, the intense adversity had amazing positive trajectory after that. I met a great psychiatrist in a mums and bubs unit here. She taught me everything about gut health, mental health, mindfulness, sleep hygiene, fasting. And at the end of the five-week stay, when I finally got my old self back, she said, Chelsea, you'd be the most beautiful clinical psychologist. And I thought, rightio, <laughs> it's time I go and reinvent myself. So off came the, the corporate suit, David, and on came a PhD in neuroscience and clinical psychology because I was so fascinated, not just with my brain, but I was also really interested in yours and how we could decrease the stress, improve people's memory, their focus, their creativity, just by taking the brain to the gym, by recalibrating it. You know, a lot of people take their bodies to the gym and they, t- they always forget to actually take their, their brain there. And that, that quote is so true, use it or lose it. Mm-hmm. You know, so the hippocampus, we know the memory center shrinks after the age of 30. It's not that people are getting early onset of Alzheimer's or dementia. It's just that the hippocampal function is declining. So if you're not doing things to actually physically train that, then it's not that you're forgetting only your car keys and your 
your phone, you're also starting to forget your clients' names. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the actual incredible research that you need to deliver to them in that yes. time of a, you know, in the time of a meeting. So that's where my journey began, you know, with that, um, very grateful for my daughter for sending us there. Sounds a bit bizarre, but without that, I would never have got to here and becoming an RUAK ambassador and the Gidget Foundation ambassador and just working with some incredible brands now like Westpac and Uber and eBay and uh, training their corporate professionals on, on skills like this. Yeah, terrific. It's a very small world. Uh, Martin and Simone Short of the Gidget Foundation are great friends. I went to school with Martin and, uh, you know, out of that tragedy and adversity such as your own comes uh, great causes which are making fantastic changes. Mm. I'm really interested in this space, um, you know, being an advisor and a wealth advisor to many successful people and many wealthy Australians and their families. Um, you know, it's always interesting to note that often people will correlate wealth and happiness and Mm. oh too often do you see, um, and and people often say, well, it's only really wealthy people who say money doesn't buy you happiness. But, you know, there's a a lot to that, I think. And and I would, in my observations, think that, um, you know, wealth and happiness aren't correlated beyond a point. Um, But Mm. I'm very interested in, you know, what, you know, potential clients and clients of mine and, and, and people just generally in life can do to try to increase the happiness and, and be happy, not only just pursuing the wealth. And we, we did an episode earlier in the podcast with Dr. John Cummins and, you know, he deals with holistic well-being, et cetera, and he mm-hmm. touches on um, the sort of mental health side of things. But most of the focus is around diet and fitness mm-hmm. and the physical body. And I think a lot of this comes down to the mental side. So I thought it'd be wonderful to dive into this subject of one, which I'm very much a rookie. So I, I you know, really appreciate your your insights to it and, and your wonderful background. Um, can you talk about your, your corporate role and, and mm. sort of what sort of services you offer and maybe we can branch out from there? Yeah, sure. So with that question around that happiness and the correlation to you know, people's wealth and happiness, I guess to a certain point, absolutely, where you're now earning enough money and money is such an enabler, as we know, in terms of you get to choose then what you do with that money. A lot of people don't know that some of our wealthiest people donate a lot of money to charity. Um, However, some other people, what they're doing with their finances is we get so hardwired, I think, through marketing that it's the external stuff that's going to make us genuinely happy. We get the new Ferrari, And then all of a sudden our neighbour comes in in their helicopter and lands on their helipad. And we're like, damn it. Mm. Because what happens with those kinds of responses is that it's through the dopamine. You get a dopamine hit for about 24 hours from something material like that and then you revert back. True happiness is what the research is showing us comes from a couple of things. One, it's your health. You have to be physically healthy and psychologically well to truly live in the moment and be really happy. Number two, it's your social connections. A lot of people are actually really unhappy because they're so lonely, especially as we get older. But it's your social connections and it's your relationships with your people in your life, the friends, the kids, the partner. Sometimes it's so fascinating, I think, in life is that we work so hard, don't we? We do the 12-hour days. We do the Hendrix gin or the scotch at night. We work the long nights. It's almost like we honour the people that are working till 2am and then get the flight at 6am and turn up at the squash court. But realistically, you know, what happens there is that those people, we earn more money, but it's almost at the sacrifice to our own mental and and physical health 
but also to our relationships with other people. So first thing is your health, happiness. Second thing is your relationships with others. And the third thing is the unsung hero that I think does not get enough uh, kudos out there is the charity stuff. It is the biggest way to actually fill up your fulfillment bucket and really reflect forward, you know, in terms of, and this is going to sound quite dark, but through our psychology degree, they got us to write our own eulogy. I don't know if anyone's ever done that before who's listening. Mm -hmm. Pretty profound though. Thinking about what kind of legacy you want to leave behind. What's your mark here on the world? How do you want your children to remember you? That's huge. And once you sit down and you work that out, you then start living a life that's more aligned to those things. Sometimes we don't work that out until we're 75 or 85 on the deathbed. So, What are the things you see that people typically will write into that eulogy? I think if they've got children, if they've got children and a family, they are number one, which is so fascinating, isn't it? Because sometimes the kids and the partner get sacrificed for the long hours. Yes. And sometimes we don't even know our children. We have a beautiful big house and fast cars, Mm -hmm. but we don't know what our kids are up to, what they're doing in their bedroom late at night. Mm -hmm. We don't even put the phone away when we're having like conversations with them. Mm -hmm. So that's the number one thing that I see. I think people feel like that they, another thing is, you know, how's their name going to live on? That's another Mm -hmm. big thing that people... Legacy item. 100%. What's yours? Sure. Put you on the put you on the spot. On the spot, yeah. I don't know. Some someone that's uh, you know enjoyed themselves and been good to other people, mm. and uh, had nice. those meaningful relationships. I think um, mindfulness. Now it's something I see on your website, and I see bandied around. A very good friend of mine, um, who I used to work with, and is a, is a great mate uh, in sort of Menlo Park, Silicon Valley. You know, he's got a cap with it on, so it must be, <laughs> it must be uh, something that I need to know about and, and, and study. So, talk a little bit about that. You know, I mentioned uh, I was in the in, in the kitchen room uh, at the office here today, and. Uh, one of my colleagues, I won't name him, uh, I said, look, you know, I've got to ask some questions on this and appear intelligent. And um, <laughs> he said to me, yeah, mindfulness. I was a, a recent briefing on that and it makes terrific sense. And, you know, then I was I was being very mindful the other day of the beautiful buildings around me and I stopped and said, yeah, that's a really beautiful building. Then I tripped over on the pavement and, <laughs> and uh, spilt, spilt my coffee. Um, so talk to us a little bit about that, um, what it means and, and how you know p- clients or people can incorporate that into their lives to, to, to give them some benefit. Sure. So it's a, it's a pretty simple concept, isn't it, this whole mindfulness piece? It's actually bringing you straight here into the present moment. Like right now I'm here with you in this room while we were recording this podcast. I'm not thinking about the keynote I just did half an hour ago. I'm not thinking about my flight tonight. I'm here, right here with you, because this is actually where true happiness is. It's not thinking about the past consistently or too far in the future, because that's where sometimes anxiety lives. And too far in the past when we're constantly there, that's where depression can reside. So we want to stay as present as we possibly can in interactions and in life. A few tools, like really tangible tools that we we teach the corporate professional world, a few ways of how they can actually bring a sense of mindfulness into their life, a really simple practice. And if I had the chance to do a thesis again, I'd do it around this, the neuroscience behind gratitude. Now, people always talk about this as being a really fluffy subject, I think, out there. If they understood the neuroscience behind gratitude, it would actually blow their mind away. So, for example, David, I could pop you in right now into an MRI scan, have a look at the insular part of the brain, which 
sort of sits there behind your temporal, temple. And I could tell whether you're a happy or a sad person just by the activation of the size of that. Now, already I know that you're a happy person because I picked that up the last time we met. However, we can actually see it on fMRI scans, the size of this insular part of the brain, which is responsible for everything in people's lives that's good. Empathy sits there, compassion, kindness, love, gratefulness. So I train a lot of construction companies as well. And the blokes will say to me, Chels, how long do I have to do this gratitude crap for <laughs> to have an insular response? And I say to them, that's a great question. So Harvard research shows us 30 seconds a day. That is it, to actually grow the insula in size. So, you know, we go to the gym, right? We lift bicep curls. And what happens after one day? Nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, come on, I've got to get down to Bondi and get the summer's coming. However, after two months, our body will start changing shape if we consistently keep up the practice. It's the same thing with gratitude. After one day, I won't see much difference on your insula on the brain scan. But I can promise you after two months for 30 seconds a day, that part of the brain will grow in size. All of a sudden, what you're thinking about, your brain starts to hardwire itself for more gratefulness, more happiness, more empathy. It gets you out of your own ego and it brings you back into the moment to be grateful for what you have right now. So 30 seconds of practice every single day and maybe try that. You know, notice how your lens of the world will change after a couple of months. A particular. I've, yeah. I've heard people talk about a, a, you know, a gratefulness diary or similar, where mm. people at the end of each day are writing. You know, I use Evernote, and for instance, they had a template in there for one the other day, which thought I thought, gee, this must be catching on. Yeah. Um, yeah. In that, people are stopping at the end of each day and writing down a handful of things or mm. remembering to be, you know, I'm grateful for this, that, and the other, and then all, all of a sudden you realise. I guess one of the things I have been interested in practicing when, you know, people say, how are you? So I'm going, great. All of my problems are first world problems, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Love that. The, 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 the Google Wi-Fi in the back room is not quite as strong as it should be. <laughs> um, all of these things are really good quality problems compared sure. to people with, you know, illness. Um, you know, I had a big wake-up call last week when a good friend from school, um, you know, suicidal ideation, um, these type of things. Mm. Um, But it just seems the prevalence of anxiety and depression in this day and age when we've got record amounts of um, wealth, Mm. we've got the lowest levels of war uh, war and Mm. death from, uh, you know, armed forces and uh, violence Mm -hmm. ever. By all metrics, we should be the happiest ever. Mm -hmm. However, you're seeing all sorts of measures um, saying that we've got record amounts of depression and Mm -hmm. anxiety. Do we actually have record amounts or are we just more conscious of it and it's being diagnosed now? I think we're in an epidemic, to be honest. The statistics are showing us that they're moving the wrong way. You know, last year Medicare reported it as one in five and then this year it's one in four. Our GPs are seeing about six out of ten patients that are presenting now for mental health. It used to be for things like the flu or, you know, an immunisation jab. And now six out of ten of those patients, 62% of everyone going in the waiting room is for a mental health condition. Why is that? You know, I think a lot of the things are, I think technology has been phenomenal in so many ways. 
But I think where we get it wrong is being too addicted to it and we start comparing ourselves. I think this is a problem as well with our teenagers, with social media. Mm -hmm. We start comparing ourselves to these other perfect people on these social media platforms. I think also, you know, when we're going to sleep at night, a lot of people are actually on their phone half an hour before bed. So if anyone's listening and they're suffering any kind of sleep insomnia, this is going to be a great tip for you, is that when you look at a screen, this is including your Netflix, whether you're watching Suits or whatever you're on, mm-hmm. on your series at the moment, whether you're looking at your phone, doing your last minute emails before you clock off, whatever that is for you, half an hour before you go to bed, and this will depend on whether you're a lark or an owl. And what I mean by that is your chronological clock. Mm-hmm. So if you like to get up in the morning, you're on fire from 6 to 2 p.m., you're usually a lark. We like you guys in bed around 9.30 because your brain will naturally start producing melatonin around 9 o'clock. However, what happens is with the phone is that that blue light will come in, hit the back of your retina ganglion cells, send a message back to your master gland, your pineal gland back there, and do this. I can sense there's still daylight coming in. Quickly switch the, t- switch the taps off for melatonin. Mm-hmm. Now, melatonin is the chemical you need to drift down to something called deep REM sleep. And we switch it off. Therefore, we don't have any. And it's really hard for your brain and your body to guide down into deep REM. You only need one and a half hours of that every night. Now, people will say to me, Chels, I don't believe you because I watch a TV show and I fall asleep on the couch, right? Mm-hmm. And I yep, say to them, sure. how are you feeling? Do you wake up full of energy, really alive? They're like, no, I feel terrible. And I said to them again, it's because we're not getting you any deep REM sleep. You're staying light REM, toss, turn, toss, turn. And if you don't believe me, I want you to go and invest into an aura ring. O-U-R-A. So what they are is they'll track your light and deep REM sleep when you're asleep. This is a ring you wear on your finger. I wear one now every single night. And it'll show you, if you're on your screen a half an hour before bed, I can promise you your deep REM won't get over one and a half hours, which is what you need. So back on the chronological clock for my owls out there, and you'll know who you are. Yeah, I'm a lark, I know that. I'm a lark too. So my owls, that's that's you guys who like to go to bed at around 11. Melatonin for you around 10 o'clock. You're usually the guys that like to hit the snooze button. You come online usually in the afternoon. You win your pictures in the afternoon. You like to present in the afternoon. So honour that. But with your sleep time, it's usually a little bit later. So, But for all of us, if you're looking at the blue light and including red light, because there's no validity for us as scientists that the red light doesn't switch off. So this is the red light apple changing it so it looks a bit softer. Yeah. And who okay. designed that? Who did you say just designed that? Oh, it was Apple, I guess, right? Yeah. And what does Apple want you to do? Well, this is, it's interesting. Stay on the phone. That's you right. Know, but you're now starting to see this become an issue yeah. where there are a serious amount of people from ex-Facebook, Apple, et cetera, saying, who are breaking away and saying this technology is creating issues. Correct. Um, and you look at some of the smartest cutting-edge Silicon Valley CEOs of tech titan companies. Now, Steve Jobs... I thought, you know, this could have been a quirk of his character, but they didn't allow their kids to have technology until they were 14. Now, you have a look at the CEOs of most tech giants, and they'll send all their kids to a school called Wardorf Peninsula, which is almost like a Montessori-style school. They won't allow it to be ha- have any technology until they're the age of 14, and then wow. they get introduced to coding. That's it. That's all they use their phones for. 
Isn't yeah. that fascinating? It is. It what is. Do I, I don't know, know how that survived. Lucy Clark, um, <laughs> twelve years old in the Clark household, might have me alive if there was no access to <laughs> to Instagram. So, Chelsea, what are some of the routines or practices people listening to mm. to this can put into place? Instead of watching TV and then going to bed or instead of checking email, social media on the phone, what what are some of the practical routines they can put in place to help with the sleep patterns, to Mm -hmm. help with lowering anxiety, to help with the, you know, warding off depression and these type of things, which just seem to be so much more prevalent um, as we're discussing. Absolutely. So... Straight off the bat, the biggest tip I can give them is off the screens half an hour before bed. And so what are you going to do there? I usually suggest to people to go get a book. Like so that's a real all one. screens? That's all screens. Okay. And for us, being in Larks, it's 9.30. That's yep. not that bad. You know, 9.30, you start your unwinding process into bed. It's like hot shower, brush of teeth, nice stretch if you want to. Uh, it's things like reading like an actual book. It's meditation is incredibly successful at guiding people down into a deep sleep we change the brainwave for them doing that way so it's really so what is yeah. meditation describe this to us you know i can yeah. i can hear my father now you know when i describe this to him i, I made a whole group of my friends up at malulaba this year do a, a yoga class and i was proud to see a whole bunch of them do um, some of it the the next week on their own accord but right. meditation you know peter dunn one of my partners and colleagues at Coda Capital, um, you know, he, he meditates on the ferry coming across from Manly each day. But describe meditation, what it is and mm-hmm. how people do it and what the benefits of it are, sure. if you could, please. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really fascinating. I look at a lot of biographies and successful people and I think, wow, if Richard Branson's meditating, if Barack Obama meditates. Oh, the incidents. You know, and I just think... The, the incidents and the correlation mm. between high achievers and meditation and also what are perceived to be happy people Mm -hmm. and meditation, I would have thought the correlation was very, very high if somebody's done that study. Absolutely. I'm sure they have. And we have. So this is the thing, I think, with with all, I think success leaves clues in all aspects of life. And so with those high profile people that are really disrupting the way that the world's being done, there's a reason why they meditate it's to sharpen up their mind. So when I first ended up in hospital and my psychiatrist said to me, you'd have to meditate, I'm like, don't come at me with that spiritual stuff. I run, I lift weights. And You're a triathlete, like, right? I'm a triathlete, yeah. you know, and I thought, well, I don't want to sit in a caftan underneath a tree punching out some arms. I'm like, that's just not my bag. And she said to me, Chelsea, I'm going to train you from a clinical perspective so you understand from a brainwave perspective what's going on. And then I did a lot of research into it. And so there's so much data now, like over 2,000 robust, double-blinded, randomized clinical trials, which is like the top of the top echelon of clinical trials for us. And this is where all the evidence is. So there's a lot of evidence in terms of numbers of journal articles out there. But what people have to remember in terms of to have a true clinical benefit for the brain is this. You need a practice of 20 minutes, just once a day. I think Pete... Then Dunny just gets by because I think the manly fast <laughs> period might be 24. Okay, so yep. Yeah, 20 at least minutes, 20 minutes. Once a day. And we don't mind clinically if you do two 10 minute sessions on the day. But mm-hmm. as long as you're blocking in a 20 minute block there and fit it in when you can, you know, on the ferry. Um, so 20 minutes for two months. That's the annoying thing. You don't see the results straight away. It takes about two months for things to start clinically changing within the brain. 
and this is what I'm going to share with you now. So I'm only going to share three things because that's the, the memory really only likes three bits of information at one time. So if people out there listening want to decrease stress, you know, if you've got mortgage stress at the moment, the kids are stressing you out and you think, wow, I'd love to be less reactive. I'd love to have less stress in my life. I want you to think about that if that's what it is for you because this is the intrinsic motivation. This is what it means to you. Choose that one. Secondly, if you want to improve your memory. If you forget someone's name as soon as you get introduced to them, I would suggest you choose this one. If you're over the age of 30, I'd consider choosing this one as well just because the memory's in decline. If you're doing study, you want to have it recall information at a rapid rate, choose the hippocampus. That's the memory center. The third one is for creativity. Creativity and productivity. And this is why Elon Musk meditates every day for the creative synapses that fire to actually make up these ideas of what he's going to disrupt with the world. So they're the three choices. Stress, memory, creativity and focus. Now, after eight weeks of training, this is, remember, over 2,000 clinical trials have been done in journals of psychology and neuroscience, double-blinded, randomised. David, you'd be the perfect specimen for this. So you'd come in and I'd scan your brain. I'd say, David, let's do it. Every day, I'd teach you a guided practice first. And what I mean by that, if people are really curious about meditation after they learn about the science next, I'd recommend you go to an app where you like the person's voice. So calm mm -hmm. is one. Headspace is another one. Smiling Mind is a great Australian company doing great things here. I've got a free YouTube channel. If you find my voice relaxing, no offence if not, so don't use me. <laughs> if, uh, um, but we've got so many different meditations out there. So back to you. We scan your brain pre-meditation. Novice, in you come, up it goes. I look at the brain scan. Two months later, after you're practising with me for 20 minutes every single day, you come back in, we rescan you, and then we start comparing the two different brain scans. What we see on fMRI scans is this. The amygdala, where your stress sits, where people's stress sits, it shrinks in size. So those of us that suffer anxiety like myself, I have a larger, genetically a larger amygdala. I see it on brain scans. That's why I'm more receptive to anxiety. Just by training it every single day, I make it so small, I don't have to be on Zoloft because I train my brain for that. Secondly is the memory. So after two months, the hippocampus grows in size. We see it. The, the hippocampus will literally grow in size. Neurogenesis, there's more gray matter, and it starts to increase in size. For our patients who suffer post-traumatic stress disorder, our war vets, why do 10 soldiers come back and five of them are triggered, you know, in severe PTSD, and five of them are okay? Usually those guys that have been triggered is because they've got a smaller, genetically, a smaller hippocampus, memory center. So they stay stuck in those memories. So what's working for them is mindfulness meditation because it's growing out their hippocampus. They're recreating new memories and moving forward. Isn't that amazing? It is, absolutely. So it's just like um, exercise and training. And, you know, I, I think you're right, being able to see, you know, the science of it backing mm -hmm. up what some people might see is the fluffy in, uh, all those inexperienced with it might be saying this airy fairy under a tree, oming. But mm. to actually meditate that 20 minutes a day or two stints of 10 minutes, mm. what are people doing then? Is this, yeah. they're stopping altogether, they're thinking, I, I've looked at some things where they've said, you know, just focus on your breathing or sure. something. What, what, what are actually people doing for that 
10 minutes? Yeah, good question. So there's a few different ways to meditate. When people are starting, so if you're a novice out there and you're just beginning, I'd recommend a guided meditation. So something like one of the apps will guide you through and talk you through it. The whole process around meditation is not actually getting into some kind of cosmic ooze where we're floating around in enlightenment. It's actually sharpening up the brain. And the way it does that is your mind will naturally drift off. You know, it's going to naturally drift off while you're meditating. And even doing a body scan, for example, would be one kind of meditation where I'd guide you down and would literally just think about different parts of the body, the forehead, the eyebrows, down towards the nose, the jaw unclenching. And I'd want your mind with me, the focus point, just with those parts on your body as well as my voice. So that's where we're going. Now, your mind would naturally drift off because especially if you're brand new to this, it's going to, it's like a monkey mind. It's going to be drifting off everywhere. Yeah. So as soon as you bring that back, that's one bicep curl for your brain. And that's how I want you to remember it. So you could do it via body scan. You could do it via the breath, just literally focusing on the inhale and then on the exhale. And then on the inhale, when you're more advanced, we'll train you on a transcendental meditation where we give you a mantra and we guide you down deeper for 20 minutes. But again, with everything, it's small bite-sized wins. We want you to start at three minutes consistently every day. It's always about consistency versus intensity. Yep. And much Just rather... like the physical training. So this Correct. sounds like it's a, the description you're giving to me is almost like a detox cleansing of the brain or mind yeah. uh, and, and letting that flush through. Okay, excellent. That, that's a really good practical point because I've never sort of dealt with it or got to the bottom of it in that, that degree, which is helpful for a rookie like me. Um, the other, I've, I've heard some people talk about, particularly in this day and age, and particularly people who you know, are more affluent and successful, that the, some of the conditions, uh, shiny thing syndrome or similar, people have said, where you know, people of today, or, or children particularly, um, you know, when you're raised in an environment where you don't have money, mm. you understand why you're not happy because you don't have money and you don't have the flash house and you don't have the flash car and everything else. So you, 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 rational, you rationalize to yourself, well, I'm not happy because I don't have the car and I'll work hard and I'll do this and one day I might get that and then I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. However, for a lot of children these day and age or people and mm. even that well they've, they've got everything that they want mm-hmm. and you ask the children for christmas well what do you want and mm-hmm. it's not the gray nick super scoop like you know <laughs> i was longing for <laughs> don't worry mum and dad that was fine um <laughs> yeah they've sort of in many cases got everything they need and it's sort of like oh i'm okay that's right and they're all talking about experiences now mm-hmm. um but because of that when they've and that the appearance is they've got everything, they're going to great schools, they've got all the material things they want, mm-hmm. and then they're still unhappy. There's no rational explanation for that, and therefore anxiety and these things kick in. Sure. Have you heard, is there any credence to this or, mm. or any science behind this? And again, um, it's what they're focusing on in terms of their happiness. So potentially a couple of ways to help out with the children if they're going through something like that. They've been gifted everything and you've given them a really good shot. That's the reason why you've worked hard to give the kids a really good schooling and to take them on great holidays and to, but then it's that balance, isn't it? It's that balance piece of how do we make sure that they realise how lucky they are. Oh, and, and, and people want them to develop their own grit and to, they want the bird to be able to fly out of the nest by itself, but they don't want to push it too quickly, but they also don't want to, you know, uh, over mother it so it mm-hmm. never flies. Mm-hmm. 
So it's this constant balance of how do we build up the resilience as well and the grit. This is why the things like, you know, your gratitude practice, the meditation practice is phenomenal. It deactivates what we know is this default mode network within the brain where we're constantly thinking about ourselves all the time. In fact, we did a study where I said, I'll give you $500 if you go into that fMRI scan and you don't think about yourself. Now, for a lot of people, that's a lot of money. 500 bucks for 20 minutes, uni students, don't mm -hmm. think about yourself for 20 minutes. For about two minutes, they were fine, and then their default mode network lit up like a Christmas tree. They couldn't help themselves. We're so consumed with ourselves all the time. So any activity when you can get out of your own head, this is what actually makes you super grounded. So again, being able to serve someone that can't ever repay you, taking the kids away with you and maybe like a, a type of third world country, you know, like the, some kind of charity event where you're actually doing it with your children. So then they're reminded again of how lucky they are back at home. It's. I really yeah. wanted to circle around. This is a great segue mm. to it, I think, is back to that philanthropy piece. Mm. Uh, at Coda Capital, where I'm a partner, um, we have a, a very strong philanthropic and social capital side of the business. And, and quite often there's a part of clients who, well, no, that's not for me. And you know, we'll do what we want to do privately and behind doors and we don't want assistance with it. But we do see a lot of people taking it up. Brothers, what are some of the practical things that you can see successful people do in that philanthropy space to help them and others around them and their families mm -hmm. you know, from a mental health as much as anything else? Yeah, absolutely. I think doing Is it just giving or is it, you know... There's plenty more? of ways that you can give, isn't there? Not just even financially, it could be a time. Mm -hmm. You know, where you're giving your time to somebody else or mentoring somebody through something. I think uh, there's a whole bunch of research also around, you know, finding out what lights you up. So the charities that you're aligned here, what charities are you actually aligned here with Coda? Well, with Coda, well, we're not really aligned to any in particular. We're mm -hmm. more of a hub for, you know, the industry mm -hmm. um, and, and are agnostic as such. So we, we serve m many of them and promote uh, the, the concept and the enabling of that. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So for the audience listening, if there's something that's been going on within a family member, a friend, that's really lit you up on the inside in terms of don't sit on the sidelines if there's a passion inside of you that really lights you up. And it's not to actually get the kudos from the outside world. It's actually what it does to you intrinsically. We had a situation a few weeks ago down at Town Hall at the train station now, being an RUAK ambassador, I'm super vigilant anyway to mental health and the train tracks seem to be a pretty big place for us as well as the gap, which is very sad. So we're there standing at the train. There's a young girl checked out looking down at the train tracks, standing way too close to the yellow line. Now, everyone else at the train, what were they doing? On their phones. Right? Everyone else is on their phone, except for me. So I'm watching this girl for a minute. I'm like, wow, she's going to jump. So I went over to her. And I said to her, look, I've just been watching you for a, for a minute. And I said in a really non-creepy way, I'm a mother, I really care about you. I'm really actually worried about you. You're doing okay today. And um, she turned around and she put her arms around me and she just burst into tears and she was, you know, when you, you probably don't know, but as a, as a woman, sometimes we <laughs> get the full that. shakes, <laughs> you know, the convulsing crying and just held her for 20 minutes. And I just said to her, well, you know, what, what's going on for you today? And she said, I was just about to, to jump. And I said, oh, why wow. would you do something like that? And she said, this morning, I lost my brother to cancer. 
And she said, I didn't know what to do. I love him so much. So I thought I'd go and join him in heaven. And I think, David, you know, like as a parent, that, that mum and dad were about to lose their two children in one day. Oh. And I, so we, it's okay. We got her to safety and I speak to her parents every week and they thank me. And, and it's really interesting because this is what I tell everyone about with the mental health um, situation is that you don't have to be an expert to ask someone, are you doing okay? And that moment, that has been my favourite moment in the last, you know, four years. My favourite moment has been when Clara was born. But that mm. moment, that's more fulfilling than a standing ovation, you know, at university or keynote yep. speaking. Yep. It gives me so much purpose. Sometimes life throws us a lemon. Our wife dies of breast cancer. How do we respond to that? How do you react to that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you let her legacy live on then and you do something in her honour, in her name? Or do you stay there in post-traumatic stress for 10 years? So I think we always kind of have a choice with these kind of things. And back to that you know, philanthropic area, you don't have to donate you know, millions and millions of dollars. If you have millions of dollars and you're enabled that way to do that and it's something that's going to mean a lot to you, by all means. Our biggest passion project for my company, EQ, is to build a $50 million project here in Australia, in Sydney especially, for public patients going through postnatal depression because we don't have one. In fact, if you're a public patient, you go into the public unit, RPA, Concord, they take the baby off you, you're in there for five weeks with very, very mentally unwell patients. We only have a private hospital here with 12 beds, which I think is an absolute outrage. So my company is going to fund that and we're meeting the most incredible people along the way. But that means something a lot to me. You know, I'm not going to lay down until I cut that ribbon. And, of course, all the Gidget Foundation will be there. Yeah. You know, so it's finding something from within. Really, this isn't, David, me or you suggesting to your audience what you should do. This is like you actually taking a moment. Maybe if you're listening to this, you know, right now is taking a moment and just thinking, wow, A, what's the legacy I'm going to leave behind? B, what's the impact that I can make on someone else's life? that could potentially never repay me. And I think that's where you'll find a lot of happiness sitting there. Chelsea, I think that's a wonderful place to leave it. Thank you very much for Pleasure. your time. Thanks for joining us at Inside the Rope. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Inside the Rope with David Clark. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with David by visiting codacapital.com. Any views expressed in this recording represent the personal opinions of the speaker and do not represent the view of any other party. If this recording contains reference to any financial products, that reference does not constitute advice or recommendation and may not be relied upon. Listeners in Australia are encouraged to visit www.moneysmart.gov.au to obtain information regarding financial advice and investments.